Welcome to Strange Phenomena, the music of Kate Bush. I am Cecily, and this week we're going to be talking about the eighth track from Kate Bush's sixth studio album, The Central World. We're going to be talking about Never Be Mine. about the song this week is a Kate Bush fan who hasn't been on the show for a while. I think the last time we had had you on was for Hounds of Love. It might have been for Swing Hounds of Love. I can't quite remember. But now we're back to talk about Never Be Mine with Craig Houston. Yay! And you're only the only one for this song. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, I get to talk about this song. Yay! I would have thought that you would have had people beating down your doors to talk about the magnificent Never Be Mine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, so. I was expecting that also for, for um, well, this is, it's already been recorded as of this recording, but this woman's work. I only had like, one person that, that wanted that one. I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> wow. That surprises me. And, and that one particularly, I assume that maybe on that one, people just, oh, it's already taken. I'm not going to even, you know, mm-hmm. try. But, um, that surprises me. But I will tell you what surprises me even more because a long, long, long time ago when um, I think the first time I talked to you was probably on The Dreaming uh, on that album series and I told you at the time that I wanted to talk about Constellation of the Heart because that yes. is one of my all-time favorite case of songs. And um, listening to episodes, Libby, I've heard two other people say that that was their jam. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, What? <laughs> You just never know. Mm-hmm. I know which one you're, because uh, it's a younger fan, too, Diego. He Diego yeah. says that's his favorite. And I thought that was great, you know, but it just, it surprised me. So, oh, well, that's one nobody's going to want to talk about. There you have it. You never know. Mm-hmm. Or maybe when you get to 50 Words for Snow, you're going to have people just hanging off the branches. <laughs> um, I probably, I mean, I haven't. I haven't had anybody clamoring for any of those songs so far. Have to well, say. Well, need somebody for Misty. Oh my God. But, okay, you know. I will put your name down for Misty then. <laughs> so yeah, we're here to talk about Never Be Mine, and I'm just gonna say, like, spoiler alert: this is one of my top ten Kate Bush favorite songs of all time. I forget exactly the ranking on this one, but it it's it's toward the lower part, I think, but it has snuck up there in recent years. And well, I'm sure we'll, we'll get to talk about our personal histories with this song, but there, there's lots of reasons why it is snuck up in there. So this is one of my top 10 Kate Bush favorites of all time. It, 
this this song in particular, like well, when we'll get into it, like really, really, really gets me. And I think it's uh, I mean, it was it, it's had an interesting little history, I think, to it, too, especially with it being on um, not just this album, but also director's cut. And then there's a live version on Before the Dawn and all that other stuff. So what is your history with Never Be Mine? Why is this one of your favorites? There is a great old Jackson Brown song called Running on Empty. And there is a line in it when he says, um, in 65, meaning 1965, he was 17. And then a later verse of the song, he says, in 69, I was 21. Well, I'm 20 years younger than him and 10 years younger than Kate. So for me in that song, I always think in my head in um, 89, I was 21. And so I was 21 years old when this came out. And um, me and my best friend, Ashley Jones, we're on a trip to London when the album came out. Mm -hmm. So I have a very strong memory of that trip and getting to buy Central World at Tower Records in Piccadilly in London. And we had rented a car toward the end of the trip. And um, of course we bought it on cassette so we could listen to it in the rental car. And um, then bought it on CD when I got home. And um, when we first heard the record as a whole, there are moments that stand out like the central world, the song itself, um, Love and Anger, which had been the first single in the United States. So we had heard that going in. Mm -hmm. You're going through the album and you're getting toward the end of the record. And like, you have to pull the car over to the side of the road because it's something just stops you dead in its tracks. And those are memories from that trip and that time that when I hear Never Be Mine takes me back to that trip. But specifically what's in the song is that as much as Kate so belongs to England in the English countryside, so many of her other songs seem so otherworldly to me. And I think we've said before, like, oh, if you were if you grew up in the UK, there are probably references to her songs you would get automatically. They wouldn't seem so otherworldly. They're just everyday things. Yeah. This song, if everyone wants to pay, turn to page 141 in their hymnal, <laughs> <laughs> I look at you and see my life that might have been, your face just ghostly in the smoke. They're setting fire to the cornfield as you're taking me home. Mm -hmm. I grew up in Ohio rural southwest Ohio where within 10 minutes of town you can see nothing but cornfields for miles and every autumn cornfields get harvested they go fallow some of them um, have corn mazes dug into them but there's that moment late October heading into early November when they set fire to the cornfields. Mm -hmm. And so for me, 
this is the first time that, well, so many times with Kate, metaphysically or metaphorically speaking, I knew exactly what she was talking about. She got me. But this time, I'm like, oh, no, she's been over here spying on me. They said she didn't like fly, and she's actually been to Ohio and seen me on Friday night, you know, running the, the back roads and having this happen, this, you know, that that ache of being in love and it being unrequited, but you're still so into it, but then you kind of know that it's not the be-all, end-all of the world, that you know it's just a version of something you want that will never be yours. But for as much as the Out in the Central World is story songs, this seems so real, so plausible, mm-hmm. so the smell of burning fields will now mean you and here that every time I am in this moment throughout my life, which because I've lived here all my life, it's going to happen every year until they plant me in the ground. There's going to be cornfields burning and that memory is going to come back of me and this person. And that, that will now mean you in here. And that mm-hmm. is about as good as it gets. The economy in her songwriting, in that beautiful ache. And then like, oh, you know, me in my in my head going, well, she's been to Ohio or she knows how things in Ohio are. And being to relate to exactly that person in the song. So that is my connection. Um, and of course, I could tell you three or four, 12 uh, times when I've had that feeling with someone that like, this is what I want. This is what I need. It's never going to be mine. And that tragicness of it and wallowing in the tragedy of it, you know, just getting in your bed and pulling your covers up for three days. And uh, that the good miserable that, especially if you're artistic um, and of that ilk, you know, that, that uh, theatrical or, artistic or um, melancholy. If you like Douglas Cirque movies, how could you not like this song? It's mm-hmm. cool. loved this song um i feel like it's it's one of the first that i connected with from the central world when i first bought it from uh 
uh, quite a bit later um, than when this than when the album originally came out. I bought this from Tower Records probably in the mid two thousands when I started getting into Kate's music, and I this was one of the first songs I connected with because of the melody. I found like the I I got into it because of the music first. Like I liked the the yearning melody in the chorus and like I was catching snippets of the words but it oh, the Central World album as a whole um I liked it I didn't think that it was the the weak follow up to Hounds of Love that everybody kind of portrays it to be I think that it's got its own well world of its own and that that's just as beautiful to go into but um it wasn't until I got older, because now I'm 36. When I started this project, I was 34, and now I'm 36. Right. And I've the and the Central World has grown with me as I've grown and matured as a person, and also in my own sexuality too. And so, when I hear when I what makes me ache about this song, even though like at this moment, I am. Yeah, I am dating someone wonderful. She's absolutely great and everything. But this this song reminds this song hits me in the sense that I think about some of the the people who I have ached for and I just know that they're never going to be mine. In my case, it's because they're either not available or or they're straight. Right. And it just it really kind of like in, in, in like those first couple of crushes that I ever had on women and I knew that they were never going to like me back because their door just did not swing my way <laughs> and this so I think part of why this song has crept up for me is that it hits me on that like that emotional and visceral level and you know, it's funny you mentioned about the cornfields because I now live in not rural Ohio but I live in rural North Carolina now. And really? yes, I now live in rural North Carolina. And uh, let's see, I'm surrounded by fields. Uh -huh. And late last year when they were harvesting the cornfields, uh -huh. and I could see the smoke in the air as I was driving. And then um, as I passed one of the roads, that goes past some of these fields that they were burning. Like not only could could I see the open flames, but I could even feel the heat right. of these flames like going going on coming over my car as I was just driving down the road. And yeah, seeing once I saw that for myself because I I was such a suburban kind of kid, you know, and I didn't I didn't grow up in that kind of area at all. But seeing those fields on fire, it made me think of this song and like, oh, yes, because they do that because you're starting over again. <laughs> and, it, and that just made it resonate. That may never be mine resonate with me even more because now I, I hear her singing, you know, they're standing fire to the cornfields. And I remember last summer driving along and seeing the smoke and the open flames and feeling the heat. Right. just coming over you yeah that so is, yeah well you you picked it right on the head i think any queer person has a different uh or not different but um 
will know this ache immediately. Mm-hmm. Because a person who does not know that feeling of you'll never be mine. Because no matter how well we get along, no matter how much we vibe on the same thing, it's never going to jump from friendship into something else. And I think, especially um, when you're a teenager in your early 20s, um, uh, there's probably never a time when it's not somewhat dangerous to, to be queer, but the ramifications of coming out and letting yourself open up to the possibility that's scary enough, let alone actually trying it with a person who, as far as you know, is probably straight. Mm-hmm. Like, so th- that, that is a whole uh, another level of connection with that ache of something, of not being able to attain something. And so I totally, totally get that. Um, that is probably the... Um, the ache that you know most um, in your teenage years and maybe early 20s. Mm-hmm. So, right. And by the way, I was 36 like maybe two months ago, and now I'm 52. So, just <laughs> a while. Okay? I'm like, it was, no, it was like what? About two, maybe six months ago? Maybe, I don't know. It was just <laughs> so it goes really, really quick. Um, and that's something that my mom always tells me. She's like, it just goes faster. And like, I saw it when I was younger, but now that I'm middle-aged that I'm like, Oh my God, this is, I feel like I'm on a toboggan sled just, you know, mm-hmm. and um, that's another part of it. I live in town now. Um, I live right outside of downtown Dayton, Ohio. And it's, to, for comparison, it's probably about the size of Asheville, if you know Asheville, North Carolina. Ish, yeah, I've driven past it. Yeah, great, great town, good record stores, good eats. Um, we vacationed there a couple times and really, really enjoyed it, and a uh, nice music scene. Um, but the same kind of thing, it, it's um, 10 minutes out of town, you can be in fields, and when the whole uh, pandemic lockdown thing started last spring, um, oh wow, well, sorry, we're having an Amber Alert here. Oh my! When the pandemic thing started last spring. Um, I've been working in the travel industry since I was eighteen, nineteen years old. So uh, obviously, I don't have a job right now um, because nobody can travel, and to deal with the um, amazing amount of time that I had on my hands, I started driving because I used to love to do that when I was a kid. And um, I mean, once I had my license, but you just never had time. You know, there's, you had to get to work, you had to do this, you had to go to the grocery, you had laundry to do, stuff around the house needs done. But all of a sudden there were swaths of time and I would um, get in my car on a Sunday and drive for four or six hours through the back roads, through the cornfields. And like, I felt like I was reintroducing myself to the little towns and the rural place where I grew up, you know, like where I went to high school and Mm -hmm. 
in that sense of the land and the country uh, because you couldn't really be with people and um, you know, if they weren't in your house and then uh, like, well, how do you get connection? And I started getting that connection through seeing the land and uh, Cecily, it was just absolutely gorgeous because that started in the spring when the planting went up. So there were certain roads that I found that I loved it, curves and then the contours, uh, the, the vistas you would see as you come over a rise. And I saw a crop go in. I saw the sprouts come up. I saw it in its height of summer um, with the stalks so um, full that we wonder how they could stand up, you know, so full of corn. And then I got to see them in the fall when the harvest came. And it made me think about this song because of course when you're driving for hours doing nothing you're listening usually to music and mm -hmm. I'm here and, and so when i got to that part this year it well not this year 2020 in the fall of 2020 um so much of what kate talks about in the central world in in the interview she did on the the, well, the videotape at the time where she talks about the changes and um the this the yeah, elemental changes and the beauty of what's going on around us and what we see and taking notice of those small things. Mm -hmm. So one, to your point about the central world being not a blockbuster follow-up to Hounds of Love, it wasn't intended to be. You know, it was her most feminine record is what she said at the time. And it was story songs. And there is a quieter palette all the way across the record. It's sensual. It's beautiful. And it speaks of what's going on in nature. Mm -hmm, very much. So when we get to this track eight on the record, well, that's autumn. So then she talks, you know. I don't know how much she's planned into it or if it's just serendipity, but as we get to the autumn of the record, the falling off point, there's fire in the cornfields in track eight, right? Mm -hmm. And then the next track is Rocket's Tale, that November night, looking up into the sky. She's taking you through the seasons, children. She's taking you. She is telling you everything. It's gorgeous. Oh it my gosh. I yeah. never thought of that before, but that totally makes sense. Right. I love so, it. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's just like, oh my God. You know, how does she do that? But so to tie that into what I was talking about driving the fields is as you're going through, I went through the months. I saw it come. And so I felt a kinship to what it meant to go through the seasons and actually see it. Um, most people who live in the town or even in the suburbs, they know if there's snow outside like there is now here, or they know if it's raining, they need a coat or if the, a jacket's going to be okay or if it's a short sleeve kind of day. But to actually watch the seasons change mm -hmm. and to feel it connects you in a way or connected me in a way that I hadn't felt in a long time, not since I would spend um, weekends at my mamaw's house and know what time of year it was because what she was canning, you mm -hmm. know, that kind of direct 
that we are of the earth and we exist because of what come you know comes out of the earth or comes from the earth what we eat what we feel what we touch what we clothe ourselves with um it's very natural and i think never be mine touches in on that in a way that is simply gorgeous mm-hmm. and, um I felt connected to it in a way when you uh, contacted me um, toward the end of the year and the beginning of this year to do the thing. I thought, Oh, I need to listen to that again, but I heard it a lot in this past year. And so I decided not to listen to it and just to think about it. So I had a few weeks to just think about it and let it come in and out of my mind whenever it wanted to. And then just today, I listened to the three versions of it and kind of that anticipatory, let it wash over me. Mm -hmm. Try to one, remember how I felt at 21 when that song, when this song could have been in me on any day uh, that I could remember any crush I had in high school and, um, the the beauty of the fall or the autumn and then to tie that into how i felt now and the versions we've just heard in these last 10 years i mean um director's cut was 11 right 2011 yep. and we got the live version um in 16 so how that person singing whether we talk of the character that she's laying out or um, her personally, how Kate is approaching the song. So um, for me, I try to remember what it was like when I was in my youth and then to see how it reflected to me in this um, hellish year that we've just been through and really not quite out of. Mm-hmm. So um, I thought it was a great source of comfort uh, that things do have a season and that she's at the end of a growing season. They're burning the cornfield, even as she's coming to the realization that whatever she's had with this person is also over. I, I think setting it in the fall at the culmination of the season of the cycle of the year um, is appropriate. From Tony Horkins, What Katie Did Next, International Musician, December 1989. I wanted a sort of Eastern sounding rhythm. I wrote it first on the piano, though the words were completely different, except for the choruses. I did it on the piano to a Fairlight rhythm that Dell programmed. I think that maybe because of the quality of the sounds, it was harder for Dell to come up with the patterns, and I was more strict. He found it much harder. I think the pattern in Heads Were Dancing is really good. Really unusual, the best he came up with. But Never Be Mine was kind of tabla-based. We got Eberhard Weber over to play bass, and he played on the whole song. When we were trying to piece it together later, we kept saying it just doesn't feel right, so we just took the bass out and had it in those two sections. You hardly notice it going out at all. I think the song has a very light feel about it, which helps the whole imagery. The Ilian pipes have a very light feel, and the piano is light. I think it's a nice contrast when the bass suddenly comes in. 
The piano on this is an upright Bernstein that has a really nice sound. I think it has to do with proportions for us. We did have a big piano, and it's a small room, and it didn't record well. The small piano sounds much bigger. No, that's just beautiful. I mean, it. you know, I've had started to feel that same sort of, like, earthly connection, too, um, with this album and this song, because I now, I now live in more I live in the country and so I it has been almost I think I've been living here for almost eight months and I've gotten to see I get to notice the seasons a lot more and driving around and kind of in preparation for this season and everything like driving around the the country driving around the countryside here and listening to this album it just works. It works so well because in in, a, in so much of Kate's music, she puts in so much uh, pastoral imagery into her songs anyway. Lots of images of nature. I mean, also, hey, Ariel, <laughs> she did a whole album about oh, us, about us, about the summer there, and driving around and listening to the sensual world, and especially in the. I was listening to it a lot in the fall as well. I was listening to it like as the seasons were changing and I couldn't explain just how it just fit somehow. And now I know why, like I, I, I totally, I love that theory. That totally yeah. makes sense. I never I, thought of it that way. It's, it's beautiful. Um, and that's what you bring in about Ariel. I mean, Ariel, the second disc, you know, is a day, you know, it starts from morning and goes till the next morning. And, um, I sometimes think of 50 words for snow as the opposite side of the coin, mm-hmm. you know, like it, it's as much summer. Ariel is a summer album the way that um, 50 words for snow is the winter album. Um, but to me, central world. And part of that is when it was released mm-hmm. um, because I could listen to it then. Now, Ariel was released in the fall too, but it doesn't, it's not tied to autumn to me. Although, yeah king of the mountain with the wind it blows and the, the leaves going through the house that's that's pretty autumnal like to me um but to me uh, never forever springtime and certainly hounds of love seems like summer so everything has their uh i think people connect especially when you're younger um when if you got a record the summer of 89 you're going to remember the summer of 89 as that and every summer when that comes back to you um another album that came out in 89 is ricky lee jones's flying cowboys and it's summertime to me it's summertime personified when it's so hot that like you could fry an egg on the concrete Mm -hmm. i want to listen to ricky lee jones and um by the way listen to Ricky Lee Jones's Flying Cowboys just period just for, for your health it's amazing <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that we're coming in 89 that there is a change approaching in uh, the feminine energy being brought in to popular mm-hmm. music definitely I mean why can't Tori Reid was 88 Sarah McLaughlin's first record came out in 88 but it didn't come out in the states until 89 Ricky Lee Jones comes back with Flying Cowboys, which is stunning. Um, there's a conversation that's starting, and part of it is from what Suzanne Vega had just had a big hit, 
10,000 Maniacs had just had a big hit. Tracy Chapman is like 88. So even as rock music is going to that weird place of, of um, hair metal, like Poison's really big at this time, and um, then it's going to switch over into Nirvana and grunge. Mm-hmm. Me, in my personal music journey, I started turning off contemporary radio stations at the time because they just did not feed what I needed to hear. Like, I'm like, okay, this energy is not where I'm at. And this is a beautiful time. Um, Jane Sibbery, Lorena McKennett, mm-hmm. Joni Mitchell, early 90s. Um, it, it's an amazing energy coming in. Tori Amos is about to, to come out big in a couple years. Yep. And I think Kate really ushered in this time of like, okay, gals, let's be feminine. Let's be women. Let's be um, in a place of honoring who we are and the energy that brings. As we're so many times, um, it was more boisterous. It was more big bang boom or trying to compete with men. Mm-hmm. And this is a, a beautiful stamp of like, oh, okay, this is a new era in music. I think that's more generally about the central world. As far as Never Be Mine goes, I think in the song itself, it is so sparse. I, I was thinking about how many words Kate would have in a line of music and even in a character song. But if you think about Babushka, mm-hmm. a lot of, um, Army Dreamers, a lot of words. The distillation, the economy in Never Be Mine, I think is pretty stunning. That in six lines, hardly longer than haiku lines, I mean, just very um, sparse. She's giving you a lot of imagery. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then, very much. Yeah. The first, there's what, seven lines in the first verse? Yep. And when you get to the end of it, so all the fields will now mean you and here. That chorus just takes off. Mm-hmm. And it's oh. this big, big sailing, soaring, like it can almost touch the clouds. It gets so voluminous. And I think a lot of that is the, the contours that it hangs on are just these openness, because there, there's an openness in the music that it just lets her go big and broad. Mm-hmm. And even if you didn't catch the words the first 10 times you heard it, you get that feeling. You you get that ache. And do you know, like, when you've gone through something and you spent hours and hours and hours and hours and hours talking about it with somebody and over every detail, mm-hmm. and then the next day you run into somebody and they want to hear the story again and you just can't do it. Yep. And so you give them the, like, the crib sheet version, like, you know, this these lines are almost like 
bullet points. In, in that it, it, she's not giving you a whole lot of information. In that I look at you and see my life that might have been. Wow. I mean, full stop. That's incredible. I, <laughs> I look at you and see my life that might have been. Your face just ghostly in the smoke. That makes it, but with you mentioning Autumn, especially that I, I hear ghosts in Autumn and I think, and I, and it's, I mean, Halloween aside, to me, that feels like just that, that time of year where everything is changing and, and everything. And it, it makes me think of like just old things kind of like you're kind of ruminating on the year and everything that's right. been. And things are coming down. Mm-hmm. They're coming to a close. And then she tells you where she's at, you know, ghostly in the smoke. You don't know. I mean, that could be a crowded bar. Who knows? But then she tells you they're setting fire to the cornfield as you're taking me home. They're setting fire to the cornfields as you're taking me home. Well, when you look at the next verse, the second verse, that's the length of the second verse. But so, but she starts another stanza. The smell of burning fields will now mean you in here. The smell of burning fields will now mean you and here. And if she were following a pattern, which no reason that she has to, but if she <laughs> yeah. were, there would be another three lines. But she only gives us two. She only gives us the starting phrase. It's the same as. I look at you and see my life that might have been. The smell of burning fields will now mean you in here. Those, you know, those are the two mirror lines. I look at you and see my life that might have been. The smell of burning fields will now mean you and here. But instead of finishing that phrase, she just goes straight in the chorus. Like, I've said so much that I need to get to the heart of it. but I know it will never be mine. And then there's that kind of bridge afterwards. Oh, the thrill and the hurting, the thrill and the hurting. Mm Comes back down for that verse. I want you as the dream, not the reality. That's just as strong as the first line in the song. Oh, absolutely. That says a lot. I I mean, 
that's another full stop. Okay, just shut the book and walk away because I need to think about that for 37 days. Mm -hmm. I want just the dream, not the reality. That clumsy goodbye kiss could fool me, but I'm looking back over my shoulder at you, happy without me. In one sense, she's given a pass. She's just like, I know you'll never be mine. And I look back and I say like, oh, you're you're fine without me. So this is just me hanging on to this, this heartache. And she already knows this will never be mine. But the thrill, the hurting, the push, the pull, um, the bitter and the sweet. the whole song the trio volgarka come in it's strange it's almost acting like a greek chorus where it falls mm -hmm. like they should be telling her some wisdom or summarizing things or i can't understand what they're saying are they even saying anything is it just vocalization <laughs> It's my understanding that it's that they're just doing vocalizations and incorporating in incorporating some of their uh, the some of their Bulgarian folk songs that they that they've sung together. Right. And in that case, like you don't for me, I don't even have to understand what they're singing. I mean, hey, it's like a lot, some of Kate Bush's own background vocals. Like, you don't even know what she's saying half the time, but it's like, oh, yeah. it sounds really pretty. Okay, we're going with it. Like, they're even just, I can't even understand what the trio are even singing, but the way they're singing and their emotion, like, it, it, like Kate has said it before, she said in an interview that music is pure emotion and oh. you just feel it. Like, it, it kind of feels like that's just kind of like, I imagine their voices is kind of like, you know, like, like, if you're in that moment where you're upset and you're maybe you're crying about what what could have been what you could have had and that's kind of like just like the way kind of like the wailing in your head almost like that's how i kind of see the chorus it's like i've noticed that it's 
I think the reason it soars is because those notes are the highest notes in the song. Oh, yeah. And so that's why it just like it completely pops because it's so different. Like her, the verses are kind of okay. She's kind of like like middle voice here, and then when she gets up to the the chorus, those are the higher notes. And so, to me, because it's up, because it's up so high, although not like kicking side high, but still, it's like it's high. No, it's like she's in her head voice. That it sounds like it to me. That's that chorus. It sounds like wailing it's like it's i think it's high because she it feels like somebody who's like wailing it to the heavens this is where i want to be wow. where you're just like you're in that state and you're just you're 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 crying and you're upset and you're emotional and you're just like you're doing it at the top of your voice <laughs> I like that idea that she's letting herself go to all that emotion, even though she sums it up two lines, you know, it's so direct. This is what I need. This is what I want to be, where I want to be, what I need. Not, you know, very direct. She repeats it twice and then it comes down as it falls, but I know this will never be mine. You know, like it. I think it's almost a moment of her knowing that it's okay, that I'm going to let myself go through and feel all these feelings, the thrill and the hurting of it. But I think that last line also gives her permission to check out when she's ready to. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. That, like, that's going to take time to, like, fully yeah. process everything mm-hmm. but it's not like she's um been surprised by this you know it, it's like the realization has hit her it's time to move on even though this yearning and this ache is there and the younger kate the you know late 90s or late 80s kate is singing this with a to me a ferocious force uh, that is so beguiling and um, open and just you know all in her cups just like just feeling it all like you know hair standing up on your arms that sort of that feeling what I love about the other versions is that she's addressing this song as someone who is no longer in their 20s or early 30s is the case may have been when she released it. She is addressing the song as someone who's in their 50s. And when I first heard the version on Director's Cut, I got very surprised that one, that there was an intro, there was that slow building, that mm-hmm. 
And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. That's, that's, you know, because the original track, there's a little fade and there's a little swell, like, to tell you what key it's in. But it pretty much dumb. I look at you and see. It's a very immediate opening, like, you know, Kate's uh, very fond of and famous for. Uh, no extra intros, usually. And Director's Cut does have the long intro. It's slowed down, I think, a little bit. It's lower. It is, yep. And when I first got to the chorus, I was very disappointed. Because she changes the melody. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was disappointed. Because part of me, very much, and maybe selfishly, but there was part of me that very much wanted to hear... 2010, 2011, whenever she recorded it, Kate Bush go for that full-throated note. And I wanted to hear what her voice sounded like. I, I, I wanted to hear the ache that would come 30 years later, like to, to address these, well, it's not 30 years later at that point, but 20 years later, um, what the change would be, but to hear her go for it. And, um, thought the version was beautiful i love the, the the musicality of the director's cut version but uh it just seemed a little disappointing this is what i want And then we get five years later, um, 2016. And although so many, uh, we kind of known that Never Be Mine had been rehearsed and got dropped late. I don't know that, it was, I didn't know for sure that they actually got a recording of it. And then come to find out when, before the dawn was released, that yes, there is a recording of it. And they are putting it on the album where it would have been in the show. Mm-hmm. And, of course, that being still one of my favorite Kate songs, I was over the moon with the idea of getting to hear a live version of this song. I know, right? Oh. And it's stunning. It's, it's absolutely stunning. And I think it's even slower than the director's cut version. Mm-hmm. And... There is such one beautiful musicality. It follows the, the blueprint of the director's cut version. But Cecily, when she starts that out, 
she is having a conversation. It is conversational. It is, mm-hmm. it, there are barely, it's not spoken, but it's barely sung. It is, you know, um, I look at you and see. And then she pauses. She comes in late to the next line. And it's just a, a hiccup. But you feel that regret, that longing, and you feel how much time has gone by mm-hmm. since she looked at that photograph, thought about that person. disappointed when the chorus came in then I got it then I'm like oh okay this is a woman in her 50s who has seen a thing she's done her deal maybe had a marriage or two maybe had some kids who knows but she's seen life and she knows that "Mm, and so is love life is sad and life is sweet And it's a lot of things. And when you're in your 50s, you've got a lot more to look back on. But when you let yourself, when you're out on a country road and they're burning the fields, and you remember that time, you feel the ache, you feel the longing, you feel the burn. You know exactly where you were, who was sitting next to you, who gave you that clumsy kiss. And it truly means something to say, I look at you and see my life that might have been. Your little boy and your little girl in one hand clapping there on your palm. You literally see it, a long overview. And the reason she can't raise her voice up on the chorus is because she's tired. And it hurts more. 
there's a beautiful, thrilling ache to being young and in love. It's a different kind of ache when you're older and you're looking back with regret on something that was just never going to be. But there was that moment that you're nostalgic for when you thought it could. And your thrill and your hurting just hits differently when you've got a longer expanse to look back at. And at that point, I am embraced and was reduced to a puddle uh, because I, I knew exactly why she made the choices. I felt I knew exactly why she made the choices that she made. And I loved her for it because I can't hit the notes that I hit in 89 now. I can't um, have the same time to remember all those things, to feel the feelings, to be like, oh my God, I'm going to stay up all night and just wallow in this amazing miserability. And it's like, oh no, I've got to get up in six hours. So, um, you know, I can be sad, but I need to do it while I'm sleeping. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, because the shit's got to get done. So, as much as that first go of uh, director's cut, part of me was disappointed. By the time we got to hear the live version five years later in 2016, before the dawn, I could not have been happier that it spoke to the reality of life in such a beautiful, beautiful way that, that still lets her be timeless but still show, um, you know, how much the river had flown, flowed by. Mm -hmm. And um, the gorgeous conversational aspect of it, it reminds me of uh, what Prince did with the piano on One Night Alone, like when he's doing Joni Mitchell's A Case of You, where he's literally addressing the person, and you can feel it, in what Kate's doing too, where there's this conversation that, you know, maybe she bumped in to, to the clumsy kisser on the street and she's having a conversation. Oh, how are you? How are your folks? Are they still around? How are they doing? That kind of thing. And then maybe in her head, she's singing to herself, I look at you and see my life that might have been. Mm-hmm. And that gorgeous, gorgeous um, ache, that longing, and remembering that thrill, and uh, it's still being sweet, even though it was never meant to be. Yeah, it hits you differently. Yeah, yeah. And um, I would say to you, like, uh, in the film Morris, you know, Call me in 10 years from tonight and tell me how this hits you differently at 46 and it did at 36 as opposed to how it did when you were, uh, how old you were in 2016, you know. And you don't know it going in, but looking from further down the line, uh, I'm happy to report that Kate's music and this song, Never Be Mine in particular, doesn't lose its 
and it it um, it will grow with you. It um, has been a friend that has seen you through hard times, and it still it will still be there for you even as you change. Your relationship uh, can can grow and develop deeper, stronger, wider, however, you, wherever you find yourself. And not everything can do that. Like, um, if I hear the safety dance come on the radio, <laughs> I may remember what it was like to be 15, but it's not bringing back any thrill or hurting, you know. Like a Prayer, which also came out in 89 Madonna, is a great song, and I, you know, I remember it, and what a great thing. But it doesn't hit the way I want you as the dream, not the reality. You know, there, there's, um, you know, the part of the Bible is a child. I spake as a child. Mm-hmm. And this is adult Kate. This is fully matured and um, giving you something for the ages. Well, I know that this album and and especially Never Be Mine has, I mean, even now, like in the last couple of years has grown with me. And I can only imagine what it's going to be, what it's going to be like for me in 10 years. I mean, I know from, from my own personal experience with this album and then also with me being a music artist as well, that there are certain songs that I I even remember writing five years ago that I sing them differently now. Like I don't, it might still have like a longing kind of emotion in it, but I'm singing it from a different place. Like I'm I'm now in a happy relationship, and so I'm not going to sound as pained when I sing this song because oh wait, I'm singing this now from. Oh yes, I'm remembering back when I when I really wanted her or something like right. that, and so I imagine it's going to be very similar for me with "Never Be Mine." In your own music, do you find that you write mostly from personal experience, or are you writing um, like Kate does, like stories, or always trying to like, oh no, that's not me, even though I said that that's not necessarily. I do a little bit of both. Um, most of it is written from personal experience, but I do have a few like character type songs where I am singing from somebody else's perspective. And I even have a few songs that like, like how Kate has, has a few songs that are from a male point of view. I have a few like that as well. Not as many, but it's fascinating for me to write from that other point of view because I'm, I'm very much a woman. I'm like, I'm like the epitome of femme right here. <laughs> I'm very femme, but like trying to write from an opposite gender point of view is, it really does force you to like think outside of who you are and really like put yourself in someone else's shoes. Right. Right. Um, I've, I've done some of the same thing. I think, um, I think a lot of times from, um, a queer perspective, you use a lot of they's and don't um, try to put in he said or she said um, 
that that most uh, musicians, lyric writers would put in. Uh, I think for me, because I it's been a while since I've played out, but um, I put out I during this time, um, early '90s um, through about 2011, uh, I played out a lot, sang, recorded, uh, wrote songs, and most of them were personal, you know, like there is, I could tell you what this line meant or what I was referring to or what happened. And it did, it would change your relationship changed with that person. And of course, after a while you learn like, okay, do not write songs that close to when they're happening because <laughs> <laughs> you're going to shoot yourself in the foot. Yep. <laughs> songs that weren't necessarily like, Oh no, this is about this date and time with this person and we did this. Um were easier to sing because you could get back. Or if they weren't the songs that uh, I wrote that weren't about me were about something else or another situation. Um I never felt comfortable writing like like sting, like um political songs that, you know, I'm like Oh yeah, me well, neither. Yeah, I just you know, I may have opinions, but it's the same I I don't feel like I need to put them to music um, in that way. So, and I think a lot of people who've come up, you know, since Joni Mitchell, that song singer songwriter uh, time do confessional writing, but like, like Joni, a lot of hers is character based, especially in her, the later part of her career when she got out of the uh, confessional early uh, mid seventies stuff. So, um, there is, for me, there is a little part of me that wants to think that this is a personal song from Kate, because it is I, you know, it's the, it's the first thing she says, you know, there's, there's no babushka story. There's no, um, red shoes reference. There's no, that I can, that I can tell there's no. Uh, cinematic reference that she's coming after it seems so personal mm -hmm. and so part of you can't help but think like oh was this a person was this that rare song of hers she put it toward the end of the record and it wasn't a single but hey she did bring it back and she did try to do it live maybe it resonates with her you know even if it wasn't like, oh, this happened literally next to a boring cornfield, was there something in that um, from some time for life that she was just like, oh, yeah, everybody's going to be able to dig this because who hasn't felt this way? You know, so a little part of me likes to believe that, um, you know, Kate Bush got on a plane and was watching me in Carlisle, Ohio. <laughs> and, um, owes me royalties <laughs> so, uh, you know because i'm like she knew me she was there and but it's just a stunning piece mm -hmm. of music. and i part of me i thought to talk to you about like the chord structure how it you know even the verse to chorus there's not much difference it's there's a simplicity there and the the uh Da 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 da. You know that like Gollum versus Smeagol kind of mm -hmm. chord, little chord progression that is 
the vacillating is going between the thrill and the hurting. You know, she's given it to you there as well. Like in those, those little uh, music steps, you know, that are going back and forth. And so something in hindsight, we try to see it as being like, Oh, and then she did this. Like she was aware of it at the time. Mm hmm. I don't think that's the case. I think a lot of times that you're led and things serendipitously happen and you're not trying to put in a reference to that, but by God, it is there in the end and you can't, you know, like, Oh wow. Yeah. That is vacillating. That is going between one extreme to the other, just like, just like love. Mm hmm. So, yeah, I find the, like a lot of Kate Bush's songs, um, and I've noticed especially in this era, her chord structure in this is really interesting. I, so, <clears throat> I acquired a couple of years ago um, a PDF of the Sensual World songbook where it has the melody line and then it has the chords above it. Oh, cool. And in this one, she, in a, a lot of songs on the sensual world, she uses a lot of, it's not just like a straight C minor chord, like it's C minor suspended four. So, you know, you've got C is your, your tonic and then right. your suspended four. So you're playing F. So it almost seems like it would be like an F major chord, but then you put an E, you put the G there with that because it's the fifth. And so in, and in this song, because I've actually played this on piano that there's, she uses a lot of suspended chords or add nine chords. So it's, it, it's, a, it kind of, it gives you a little bit of tension and, she yeah. does this especially, and I, I get to talk about this in the um, this one's work episode because she she does that a lot in in and in that song in particular. And so because you're just doing like you because you've got these suspended or like seventh chords, it's not just one three five of the right like any regular chord. You're adding in other notes to it, so it sounds it's got a lot more tension to it and. I mean, chord structure-wise, she's got, like, she starts with a C minor suspended fourth, and she goes to a B flat add nine, and then G, G, G minor sus seven suspended four, where I'm like, um, it just kind of goes between, like, the C minor, B flat, and G minor, so G minor is, it's got the same uh, key signature as B flat, so your B flat and E flat, and, and that feeling of lift in there, is that where she kind of puts in the F minor? Um, the F minor actually comes in for the, well, now I mean you in here. You know, she does the C minor. She does C minor suspended four for the smell of burning fields, and then B flat add nine, and then F minor suspended four. So, you know, F, A flat, but then also B flat because that's, you know, burp, 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 burp. It's kind of right. at my piano. And then... And then when it lifts on the chorus, she goes she goes to the tonic. So she goes to the C minor, right. C minor, B flat, F minor, G minor. And it kind of goes back and forth with those. And I think that F minor right at the end of the verse is part of the reason that you get such a lift because you hadn't heard it before mm -hmm. going back into the C minor that starts the chorus. And what's interesting is that the, the, the verse is 
has a melody that that it's it's the same sort of melody, but she just has a different chord underneath it. So you would expect, think for you know, the smell of burning fields. Like she has that C minor and then the B flat, and you would expect the next one to be G minor, G minor seven suspended four, because that's what she had for my life. I might have been. And instead, she puts a different chord under it. Yeah, and you're you're kind of like, oh wait, we haven't heard. Even though it's the same melody, but she just has a different chord under it. I don't know how this woman comes up with her own comes up with her her vocal melodies. Like I don't know where she gets these from. <laughs> But yeah. it's amazing. Well, when you look at your hand when you're making those chords, those are just clusters. So there's so many harmonics coming through the voicing of the piano when you're when you're pressing down on those. And so that F keeps on showing up from the C minor uh, suspended fourth. And then your B flat chord has the D ninth. So that's the C, right? The C mm-hmm. natural. So you're just right in there in that wheelhouse. Um, that you're going to, you can tell she wrote this on the piano again, that this did not come from the Fairlight. And that's another thing about um, after the blockbuster Ruru-ha of Hounds of Love, where Central World sounds smaller in ways is because of this woman's work and Never Be Mine and Reaching Out. My God, what a soaring chorus. You know, but you kind of get the sense of like, oh, she went back and sat at the piano for a while. Yep. And I think it's reflected in in the music. So. Yeah, because before, like when I get when I think back to something like the dreaming where she was writing around the rhythm. And and I know, too, from my own personal experience that writing with rhythm and then painting in the chords and everything rather than just like sitting here like, okay, I'm going to play like G minor you know, that kind of thing, that it's a different experience. I mean, basically what she was doing on the, the, the dreaming, she was doing a lot of what's called top lining. So you come up yeah. with the rhythm and everything first, and then you put the lyrics and the melody and all of that like works with the, the drums and everything that have already been built into it. Yeah. You can definitely, I can tell as well that this, she sat at the piano for a while and yeah. I feel that way on a lot of the songs on this album that have like the prominent piano in there, like um, like uh, heads were dancing when you hear the piano in there, or in um, love and anger. Yeah, God, reaching out. Yeah, and I I would think that the fog was done on piano too, but. Um then they ended up doing a lot of, of orchestration for it. But mm-hmm. it seems as far as the bass, that it, it seems to me to be a piano-based song. That one is an interesting one to try and play on piano because it's, it is so string-based. And so you would think like, okay, how would you make this work on piano? Amazingly, it actually works. Yeah. Um, it's... It is a lot of like kind of wandering around with the chords. I mean, just it just like with, I mean, the whole structure of the song. There, there's, there's not really like a set structure to it. This one, it feels also like it's you get verse and then chorus and then verse and then chorus and then you have like this post-chorus and instrumental with the ladies singing and everything. 
and then just kind of ends like there's it's this this song also has more of like like a set structure even though you know the the traditional like songwriters might go oh but well wait a minute you don't have the same number of lines between the vert first one and verse two so it's like blah, 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 blah. but right yeah she's she's definitely uh playing by her uh, own rules where, where that goes but it almost kind of works because when you get to the end of the second verse you're expecting that there should be two more lines but you just got to go straight into the chorus mm -hmm. so it, it's kind of brilliant like i don't need to say that much this time you know i've said enough and here we go so um it's hard to beat i mean it's you know central world is not my favorite album overall um but this probably on most days is my favorite song from it and it is an album i love i mean you know listen to the whole thing front to back uh quite often especially in the autumn mm -hmm. but Same never that wow just stunning stunning piece of work I, it's it oh it still gets me even though at this moment in time i'm in a very happy i'm very happily dating someone and everything's going great and i still can listen to this song and depending on the mood it can really move me to tears because it it makes me think of it can still remind me of that like the yearning for something that you yeah. know can't be yours and i think there's an kind of also a uh, an added layer of that like that line those lines about i want you is the dream not the reality i think another way that can be interpreted is that like you know that it, it's not just that you it's it's more that you see this person as like Oh, I'm trying to think of how to say it. Yeah, because it, it makes sense in my head. <laughs> Where, like, you you see this person as, like, maybe you, you see them as, like, a figment of what you want, and you're not seeing them as the whole person and everything going on with them. Well, th that kind of, that can open up a whole other can of worms. You're exactly right. I think a lot of times we look for someone to complete us. Mm -hmm. And so I want you as the dream, not the reality is that moment where you're like, Oh, well, you don't do this. You do do this. You don't think this way. You do think this way. Um, whatever it is, whatever it is that you're needing for that person to be, you're like, oh my God, if I could find somebody with that hair and that body or whatever, um, with that sense of humor, but you know, like when you have the perfect resume, but you're still not right for the job, mm -hmm. I want you to dream, not the reality. Is The reality is, is we may work on paper, but it just doesn't work in the real life. And that is, I think, a, a feeling that so many people have, and certainly I did, that when you try to look somebody to complete you, 
you're probably going to be disappointed. The, the trick um, is to be complete in yourself and find someone who compliments you. Yep. That you become the, the a sum that you two together are greater than the sum of your parts and that you compliment them. And I think that is a part of, for me, uh, in maturing and, and growing up um, was realizing that, that you got to love yourself. You got to be happy with yourself. You need to be fine on your own and understand that. And then I was able to um, love someone and not be so worried if they were the dream because I was fine in and of myself. I, you know, I had, I had everything I needed. And that person, the, your love becomes a compliment and um, a, a blessing, a help um, in times of trouble and all those things. But it's a separate, it's a separate thing. You're not looking for completion. And it's beautiful to get to that point where you look back and it's kind of two separate things. Absolutely. So, on that note, I wish you much joy and um, <laughs> good health and, um, you know, sparkling road to walk along at twilight or something. So, and uh, fields that will go fallow in the fall. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh, I've, I've just, oh my gosh, I, I, this, this song, sorry, this, if I was quiet at any point, it's more that, that the song still really hits me, hits me in a lot of ways. I am right there with you. <laughs> I think um, there's a beautiful directness and brevity in it, and uh, it is certainly one of my favorites. Indeed. So, it was great talking with you, and hopefully we'll talk again. Indeed. Thank you so much for being on the show. Yay! Absolutely. Bye, Cecily. And now to close out this week's episode is something a little different, probably something you haven't heard before. So sometimes I like to put in cover versions of whatever this week's song happens to be. And I decided to do that for this week. There are actually other several cover versions out there. Uh, but this one's a little bit special um, because this one is done by the person who's speaking to you right now. So I mentioned earlier in the episode that I have played this song on piano. And I've actually done that quite a bit with other Kate songs. And throughout this series, if you've heard piano instrumentals underneath whatever quote I'm saying, it's usually played by me. Sometimes I get I sometimes I get my friend Paul Tate in there to to play and he contributes too. But most of the time when you're hearing the piano stuff, it's me. And this time I thought that I would put in my own version of this week's song. This is something because as I said, this is a top ten song for me. Hits me really hard. And because it's one of my favorites, I thought, you know what? Might as well put in one with me actually singing instead of talking. So to close out this week's episode, this is my version of Never Be Mine. Thank you all for listening.
as you're taking me home. The smell of burning fields will now mean you and here. And this is where I want to be. This is what I this week's episode of Strange Phenomena, the music of Kate Bush. Well, we have now done eight songs for the central world, and we have just a few more to get through, and then we're going to get, then it's going to be on to the B-sides and the collaborations, and oh my goodness, I can't believe we're almost done with another season. Oh my goodness. So if you have been enjoying the show, please make sure to follow me on any of these social networks. You can follow me on Twitter at StrangeKateCast. You can also follow me on Facebook, facebook.com slash Kate Bush Podcast. There's also a Patreon, patreon.com slash Kate Bush Podcast. And if you want to leave a couple of thoughts on a song to be played for a later episode, you can call the hotline at 1-757-349-6369. That's 1-757-349-6369. And your message could be played on a future episode. Also, if you just want to email, you want to just email me, you can go to katebushpodcast at gmail.com. So lots of different ways that you can be a part of the show. I definitely love talking with fans about their favorite Kate Bush songs. And we still got some ones that are open for the Red Shoes and even a few later this season. Just saying. 
So anyway, that's where you can follow me and everything. So next week, we're going to be taking off like a rocket with Rocket's Tail, track nine on the sensual world. See everybody then. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.